Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. And welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com, the morning after the Seahawks pick up win number seven on the season, beating the San Francisco 49ers on the road. Final score in this one, 24-13. It was a, uh, well, the Seahawks kept the Niners out of the end zone for about seven quarters and, um, what, 13 minutes <laughs> of matchups this year. But Jimmy Garoppolo getting a late touchdown after the injury to C.J. Beathard. Seahawks, Birkins joining me here again <laughs> honestly i uh i was kind of watching this one with some you know obvious interest in the first half it was seven six offense moving the ball but not doing anything with it in the first quarter one touchdown drive of 19 yards there in the second quarter after right between the 20s yeah the seahawks offense mm -hmm. between the 30s actually between the 30s yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it would find a way to stall Ultimately, a couple of nice scoring drives in the second half that included touchdown passes to tight ends. Uh, Nick Vanette catching one and Jimmy Graham catching the other, and it's a solid victory for the Seahawks. But in terms of impressiveness, it lacked a certain quality, but that's okay. It's a win after a brutal loss to Atlanta, which I'm still kind of uh, <laughs> uh, uh, stewing over. What about you? What were your thoughts after this? Yeah, you know, uh, they won, which... You know, it's hard to, I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to beat a freaking one-win football team in week 12, you know? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. So it's hard for me to get, like, super amped because, like you said, it was relatively unimpressive um, in a lot of ways. You know, Wilson throws a really bad interception on the first play of the game, like, really bad. I mean, it looked like he was throwing it to um, Reed. So first – uh first time in Wilson's career that he's thrown an interception on his first pass attempt of the game, but the second straight game in which he's thrown an interception on the opening drive, right? Cause didn't he throw one to, um, to our friend Des Trufant yes. on the opening on the Seahawks first drive of the Monday night game, which is interesting because both of those games had Seattle starting with fantastic field position. Mm -hmm. Seattle started on San Francisco's 40 yard line this game because of a kick out of bounds because of the wind uh, to start the game. And then of course he throws the pick which, you know, that there's my theory on that. I think Russell is so conditioned to having to overcome obstacles that when they get good field position to start a game, his brain tells him, this is too good. We need to reset here, guys. Don't give me any advantages. I got to overcome obstacles. So he throws the pick to to reset the advantage. What do you I think like, about that? You know, that's a bold take. Mm -hmm. um, I'm all about those hawk takes. I do think it's interesting because Wilson's had a fantastic year and – you know, it's hard to be like overly critical of him just because right. without him, this team probably has the same record as the 49ers right now or close to it. <laughs> sure. I mean, if we're being honest. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting because he always seems to, and I don't know if this is just the philosophy of like, you know, what Pete Carroll's ingrained into him of like, you need like big explosive plays in the passing game, right? Like you rely on the run game and then you try to get explosive plays, but he doesn't seem to like checkdowns slash like, short throws uh, in a lot of scenarios. Like, he seems to go for, like, home runs a lot. He's always looking for the big play, right? He always is. And that's not a bad thing, and it's good to have that confidence. But sometimes the play's not there, and that's okay. How many times do you think that's because he cannot actually see the receivers running the short patterns? Possibly, because on that, on that pass, 
uh, I think Graham was his first read, they were saying. Mm -hmm. And then he actually had McKissick open, too, like about eight yards down the field with no one near him. So he probably would have, you know, it probably would have been a nice 20, 25-yard play. You're already in theoretical field goal range. Um, and instead, he kind of goes for that ball that just doesn't make any sense. I, You know, I don't know if size has to do with it, what that has to do with it. But it is a little bit frustrating because, you know, like Tom Brady has made a career out of, like, throwing the best available throwing to the best available receiver not th not forcing throws but always throwing to the best available receiver yeah sometimes that's a guy 25 yards down the field sometimes it's a four-yard dump off and that's okay too you know what i mean uh, so it was frustrating for sure on the opening drive their offense like you said has looked better slowly but surely but once again they could not figure it out they could not find a way inside the 30 yard line to move the dang football at least that's how it felt, um, you know, for the majority of the game. And my biggest takeaway is stop giving the f football to Eddie Lacy. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to make Eddie Lacy happen. He's not going to happen, okay? Eddie Lacy is not good. And at the very least, can you throw out the part of the playbook that has the Eddie Lacy stretch run? Can we stop the runs to the outside for Eddie Lacy? Oh, oh my God! Are it was you including so in that the swing passes? Because he had three catches for fifteen yards, and all those were little dump off swing passes to the left side. I didn't even know Eddie Lacy had hands, but sometimes they ran that on first down, and they five cheap yards on first down with the swing pass to Eddie Lacy. Now, obviously, he averages two point seven yards per carry, forty six yards on seventeen carries, um, and even though those final stats are obviously garbage he did have a couple of first down runs that went for six and seven yards so I don't there's, care. there's like something he, there no there's not though it's not eddie lacy there were holes the size of texas on those runs like what like jd mckissick no way. made those runs the offensive line blocked well Incredible. a couple times <laughs> look i mean this is my point is like mm -hmm. like even with the swing passes you don't think that freaking Rawls or lacy or excuse me or mckissick or whoever could have made those same plays right eddie lacy should not be playing for the Seahawks right now. He should not be on this roster. The only reason he is, I'm assuming, is because of injuries. Why Rawls is not playing, I have no idea. Is he fumbling the ball in practice? Are they really worried that he's made a glass and they need to save him for the important games? I have no idea what's going on there. But Eddie Lacy sucks. I'm sorry. I guess I just need to say it. He sucks. He's terrible. He's a detriment to the team. And once again, we saw the Seahawks, you know, as a team, run the ball 21 times to running backs, 28 times if you include Russell Wilson. Then, of course, you know Tyler Lockett had the the jet sweep play where he didn't really do much with. And then Doug Baldwin, technically, they gave they credited one run attempt to him, though it was just a pass behind the line of scrimmage early in the game that he got tackled for a loss. But my biggest takeaway is stop giving the ball to Eddie Lacy. Like, just stop it because you're going to doom yourself in the end. And not only that um, – you know, Russell Wilson's day was also a little bit clouded by the fact that you had receivers that dropped balls. Nick Vanette had the touchdown catch, but he also had a drop. Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy Graham, alligator arms over the middle. I don't know if he would have had a first down anyway because it was like a third and seven. Yeah, and honestly, I noticed that on that play. He didn't know what he was running. He was confused as he was lining up wide, and Lockett was trying to tell him what to run. And then he ran a route. Maybe it was the right route, but he ran it half-heartedly because he didn't know and he knew he was going to get hit by Eric Reed, and he was already short of the sticks. So, yeah, he still dropped it, but there was a lot else going on on that play that went wrong. Paul Richardson had a big drop that 
would have kept the drive alive. Yeah, and then obviously and McKissick at tough catch, but it was down on the sideline on that play that Wilson somehow avoided a sack. Incredible and hit McKissick on the sideline, but it went right off his hands too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it. I I guess my takeaway from this game is they didn't they won a game they were supposed to. They did nothing to bolster my confidence going into December, <laughs> and uh, this team's you know hopes for the playoffs, and they have a lot to prove in the final stretch. The Seahawks did not allow a sack for the first time in 31 games. Let's go. I'm just kidding. But a lot of that due to the fact that Russell Wilson is yeah, literally he got, a wizard. He got hit a lot, <laughs> and he performed just absolute wizardry. So this was not exactly dominance by the offensive line, although it did feature the return of Luke Jokel at left guard. And Ethan Posick, who had been starting at left guard for Jokel, slides on over to right guard for his first career start at that position. It looked better, didn't it? I mean, the offensive line looked, and it should. You have a pro bowler. You have, like, three first-round picks. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you have a a lot of experience now on that line. There's really no reason for them not to be good. Well, Not to be at least average. And the 49ers came in ranked 31st in rush defense. Taking out the runs by Russell Wilson. 23 carries for 65 yards. As a team, against the thirty-first best rush defense, not ideal. No, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. So I don't know if they ever get it back on track. Now you never know. Maybe Chris Carson comes back late in the year. Maybe Mike Davis comes back, and maybe this They're offensive Mike line Davis unit possibly yeah. back next week. Yeah, what Pete Carroll said so. But without the Ru- Russell Wilson runs, it's twenty-three rushes as a team in a game that they really controlled the game flow, especially in the second half. And, I, and 34 pass attempts by Russell Wilson. We got to be okay with that ratio. 20 rush attempts, excluding those by the quarterback, even though a couple of them were designed, like the reed keeper for the touchdown. Yeah. I'd still 34 to 34 to 30 total pass attempts to rush attempts. Yeah. If in terms of dropbacks, it's probably more like 38 pass plays to 24 called run plays. I think you got to take that right now. Yeah, I'd even like to see it a little lower in the teens for running backs specifically. And once again, we had a couple of those are misleading just because you had the locket sweep, which is like a unique play. You're mm-hmm. not really going to knock because you've seen success with that in the past. And then the Baldwin play was, you know, it was, it was what a it pass was. call. It was a pass yeah. play that just was credited as a run right. because of the way the so ball ultimately, was run. yeah, it's probably pretty so, close to forty twenty. Yeah, so you know, it's it's kind of cl- it's closer to where you want to be. It certainly felt like they were passing the ball very heavy in that game, which is <laughs> what I was looking for. So that was good, but just stop playing Eddie Lacy. Just stop. So they get the win, and maybe the more uh, notable stuff for the Seahawks came with what happened around the rest of the league, and oh, we might be talking about that a lot too. Last what, thing, Bobby Wagner stud, Keekly and Wagner, best linebackers in football, and to me, it's it's not a. De- discussion um you know Seattle fans will say Wagner's the best and Carolina fans will say Keekley's the best but I could watch those two guys play their respective positions all day long the Wagner interception was incredible and he's always leading the team in tackles going to be at the top of the list in the NFL again and he's healthier than Keekley most of the time yesterday Keekley gets a scoop and score for six showing just ridiculous athleticism and when he's healthy He's incredible, too. But both of those Mike linebackers, to me, are future Hall of Famers. Without a doubt. And then if you're talking best defensive player in the league, we're talking those two and probably, I mean, Calais Campbell. Um, what a year he is having. Just in his revenge game. Just must have tasted so sweet, though they ended up losing. They did lose. But, um, they did lose. <laughs> the Blaine Ga- it was the Blaine Gabbert revenge game. It was. But, you know, I mean, if we're talking, I think Wagner needs serious consideration for defensive player of the year. The problem is Seattle's record. 
Um, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get him over the hump because if they don't make the playoffs, I don't think he gets the award. Anyway, I just have to give a special shout-out to Wagner, who sure. with the, all the injuries to the defense, a guy that has stepped up and has shown that he, you could argue, is the best player on that defense. Oh, him, yeah. Him and Earl Thomas. Definitely. I mean, we we saw what the defense looked like when Earl Thomas was on it down the stretch last year, and that created the accurate narrative, in my opinion, that Earl Thomas is the most valuable defensive player in football. But Bobby Wagner has to be 1B in that discussion. I would hate to see what this defense looks like without Bobby Wagner, a middle linebacker. I know we had to see it a couple of times, what was it, a couple of years ago when Brock Coyle was starting there for a little bit? I can't yeah. remember what was going on with Wags, but he was out for a couple of games. And defense was still fine, but they had healthy Cam Sherman Earl. So that makes a big difference. Right now, Bobby Wagner, third in the NFL in tackle totals. He's right on 100 <laughs> through 11 games now. Joe Schobert of Cleveland has 101, and Zach Brown, a tackling machine for the Redskins, has 110. Um, as for what else happened in the division, the Rams beat the New Orleans Saints in a game that uh, we were rooting for the Saints, frankly, as Seahawks fans, to try to bring the Rams a little bit closer. But 26-20 to was the final, and it was really a two-touchdown game until the very, very end. Impressive. Look, the Rams offense continues to do what the Rams offense does. Goff had 354 yards and two touchdown passes, 28 of 43. But ultimately, I was pretty impressed with what the Rams defense did to the Saints, holding them on 13 points until two minutes to go in the game. So Rams can go to eight and three and Perkins when it's all said and done to synthesize it. Seattle lost their NFC South home game with Atlanta. The Rams won their NFC South home game with New Orleans. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be tough to overcome. That's the other thing is like once again you're happy Seattle won because they did what they were supposed to do, but nothing else went your way yesterday in terms of other teams. Um, and if you look Seattle with Seattle's win, there uh, if you look at like five thirty eight, um, you know your percentages. Seattle's percentages to win the division actually went down with the win because right. of quality of wins. So now the Rams. I mean, they're they're clearly in the driver's seat, and with Seattle's final schedule here, I mean, they the Rams needed to lose that game, I think. And now, if you're Seattle, I mean, obviously, you still control your own destiny. In the loss column, if you beat, if you win out and beat the Rams, you're still going to, you know, win the division. But man, that, it's it's a big win for LA last. It's night. a huge win, and yeah. LA is legit. I mean, very. I, I know it's twelve weeks in the season. You, you should have already known that, but I mean. That was a really impressive win. Rams are 8-3, and three, and here's their remaining schedule. At Arizona. Win. Versus the Eagles. Let's just say loss. At the Seahawks. Let's call that a loss because we have to for this argument, right? Yeah. So at that point, they'd be 9-5 and five with two losses to Seattle. They would finish at the Titans, home to the Niners. Win-win. But you would need them, if you're the Seahawks, to lose to the Titans Christmas Eve. To yeah. go ten and six, you right? Go ten and six, and then if you're Seattle, you've got to go ten and six, which is not not an easy order because by the way. you've got home games with Philly and road game at Jacksonville and road game at Dallas with Z-Pack. that Jacksonville game might have like six total points. No, I said it last week. That was a it's going to be a twelve nine game or or fewer. <laughs> I think you got to take the under. It's going to be an ugly game. Although somehow they let Arizona score thirty. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know, but That's you weird. know, Seattle has done no favors, unfortunately. Nope. And you know, I guess the well, obviously, we'll dive more into the Falcons Eagles won again, Carolina later, but, won again, yeah. Rams won again. So all everybody in that group still won. Seattle, so. if the playoffs started today, which they don't, Seattle would be uh, the seventh seed. 
So I, you know, because of type, because they lost to the freaking Falcons. So yes, um, yeah. you know, obviously your big test is the Eagles. You know, the Eagles are really good, but they've only beaten one team with a winning record this year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's your one. <laughs> I, I wish this was a more positive uh, podcast today after they get the win over a division rival. You know, the Seahawks for the first time in I can't even remember how long have r- r- won all three divisional road games. Wow, that's a good point. I mean, they're 4 0 in the division. Something to be said for that. But I think the the tone of this podcast is reflective of the state of the team right now. When you some games are just more massive than others. This was probably the most least important win on the schedule for the Seahawks. Yeah. And they're just coming off the most important loss of the schedule. Yeah. So why why should we be joyful? <laughs> why should we Eagles. be optimistic? They beat the Eagles. We should be realistic and yeah. understand that it didn't mean a damn thing yet. Seahawks are four, open as four-point dogs against Philly. That's it? Yeah. Is it home? I mean, I think that, you know. I mean, what, I know. What does but... home mean? What does what does home mean? <laughs> They've lost two home games in a row. One in primetime. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, you know, four points. I think that speaks more to, like, the Eagles still having a lot to prove than the Seahawks being good. <laughs> well, the rest of the regular season games now come in the month of December. And that means it's time for me to go into a corner and do all my playoff scenarios and ifs, ands, and buts. I will run a bunch of, uh, you know, st- statistical analyses. And when we get together Friday, we will have our megapod of previewing Philadelphia Eagles and Seattle Seahawks on Sunday Night Football, as well as my full pitch of playoff scenarios in both conferences. Let's put it this way. You're probably going to lose to Philly, which means... You got to be Philly. To put it that simply... You got you to win the game. You have to, but I think they have a better chance of going on the road and beating Jacksonville and Dallas than they do of beating Philly at home. That That's how I feel at this point. Wait, do you, like, would you take a... If you had to bet, you say Seattle beats Philly is one bet, or Seattle beats Jayville and Dallas on the road. Both has to happen though. Which bet would you take? The road games. That's I really crazy. would. I know that's crazy. Over but I a would. primetime home game. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jackson. I mean, the Eagles are so good, like in every facet. Like at least Jacksonville has some major flaws that Seattle can capitalize on, and same with Dallas. I know Zeke will be back for that game, but like Dallas is not last year's mm, Dallas. Right. So, I mean, I, and Dallas at home is not really intimidating. No, like the Cowboys since they've opened Jerry World, the the atmosphere there isn't great. Like it's not, it's it doesn't really feel like like a like you're like oh crap they have to go to Dallas. It's more like oh okay they're playing Dallas, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I, I wouldn't take either of those, though, like if I had to bet. I mean, if that makes sense. Well, <laughs> Seahawks have surprised us before. Hopefully they can do it again. Yes. But uh, that will wrap up a brief edition of the Game Plan Podcast here today. Seahawks beat the 49ers, improved to 7-4. and four. Playoffs are still possible and within their control. And we'll see if they can keep it going on Sunday Night Football. We'll be back again Friday with a nice, uh, juicy podcast for that one, previewing Philly, Seattle, and much more. For Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby, Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com.